Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Hello. It's good to see everyone. Kind of see you. It's very bright, bright in here. Um, Man, look at us packing in. Hey, pack it in, right? Find a spot. Uh, the, the, for any visitors or guests that are on the stairs, I apologize for that. So if you're a visitor and you're on the stairs, I want you to be comfortable. And so, you know, someone will give up their seat for you, okay? Right? Like, like this dude right here will. Um, no. Hey, we, we love you. Uh, we want you to be praying because... Uh, we still don't have an answer on the building down the street, right, the AT&T building. Some of you know we've been praying that uh, God would provide us with a, a building or a space so that we can pack ourselves in, we can go win the lost, and, and, and uh, we can do that without the, uh, the burden of, of uh, not having a seat for them when they show up to church, right? So be praying about that this week because I believe that the church is going to reach out and contact uh, AT&T and, and find out what the status on things are. So will you, this is really important to me. So I want to ask that you write that down, that you, that you pray about that. That's really important to me, but, but, but I, I believe it's important to the Lord. Um, not, not because we care about numbers. I don't, I don't care about that. I don't care... I don't care if we grow or we shrink or whatever, the, the, you know, the ministry will pulse, right? Uh, but what I care about is making sure that the gospel is spread to the entire world. And it is strategic for us to have space to put people who, who come to Christ. And uh, we need space to train leaders because ultimately what we want to do is we want to we raise up church planters uh, to go out into all the world. And uh, so there is strategy in having space to do that. So please pray for that. Yeah? Um, we are in Acts chapter 19 today. So let's, uh, let's turn there. Um, has anybody ever watched the show uh, Sherlock? Uh, yeah? That's good. That's good. The BBC one, the recent one, the, re- the remake, the relaunch. Uh, even I got into that a few years ago. The one that's got Benedict Cumberbatch. The wooing. I didn't expect the wooing. Is it because he's attractive? Is he attractive? I don't know. Um, he's a great actor. His name sounds like a bougie river market brunch. Does, I, I'll have the Benedict Cumberbatch, please. Um, but I really, I really like that show. Uh, they did a good job with it. And, and you know, I, I wonder, that the story of Sherlock Holmes has, uh, has longevity, doesn't it? Like, we keep going back to it, right? Uh, we keep remaking those, those stories and, and retelling those stories. And uh, because they're kind of adventurous, aren't they? And it's not like Sher- Sherlock isn't a crime fighter per se. It's not like he's a superhero, like an X-Men. That's a cool, that, he's, you know, he's not, was it Doctor Strange? Really? Oh, that's yeah, that's a nerd joke. That's a nerd joke. Uh, he's he's a different type of crime fighter, I guess. Right? He he fights crime with his brain. 
and he's super smart, right? And he's, he's an investigator. And the, the adventure is that Sherlock Holmes seems to ask questions that no one else asks, right? That, that's why we enjoy the stories so much. Now, in our story today, we are going to find that, that Paul is willing to ask questions that no one else is willing to ask. And he's very good at it. He's masterful at asking questions, in fact. And, uh, and we actually learn that, that, that Paul, his, his question asking is always intended with the objective of salvation in mind. His primary focus in his entire life, we read this over and over again in the sentiments in 1 Corinthians and Romans, is that he's given his life, he's devoted his life to reaching people with the gospel. And so he doesn't bother with questions of, of little to no importance. He's concerned with questions of the soul, questions of eternity, questions of salvation. And so today I hope that you're going to see what it means to ask gentle but hard questions of the people around us in order to discover how to better minister the gospel to the lost, but then also refine our ability to ask questions of ourselves, right? So let's pray, and then we're going to get into it. You guys alive? Looking alive? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, you are holy. And um, even just the idea of having an open Bible and speaking from it is, is fairly intimidating uh, because I know that your book is perfect and I'm not. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd set me aside and that uh, your perfect words would spring forth and and that the only function that I would have today is just to simply rehearse the truths espoused in your word. I'm going to need your help with that uh, because I, I, I'm weak. And so, Lord, I, I would ask that, that you would be glorified today in our time and that, that hearts that require repentance, that they would find that. They would, they would turn to you. They would ask themselves hard questions in light of your scriptures. And, and they would find peace and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And so, Lord, lead us all there in this time together. We love you. We're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we find Paul. Uh, remember last week, we didn't really hear from Paul at all, right? Uh, he was busy doing other things. He was in Asia Minor, traveling around, meeting with his churches that he established in previous mission trips. And uh, last week we spent time with Apollos, but we're back to Paul here in chapter 19, and he's traveling from Asia Minor along the coast down towards Ephesus. And remember in Ephesus, the, the gospel was spreading like wildfire. It was, it was having great effect, and so he's headed down there to help contribute to the work where Aquila and Priscilla and uh, these, other, these other leaders are. He wants to go participate, but on his way... He encounters some men. So let's read about that here in verse 1 of chapter 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So as he comes to Ephesus, he encounters a group of a dozen Jewish men. And after chatting with them, he discovers that they were disciples. It says that they were disciples. 
Now, it doesn't say who they were disciples of, and that's going to be important. But they were just disciples, right? Just simply disciples. And as Paul spoke with these men, he began to recognize that something wasn't quite right. Something seemed to be missing in their lives. So he begins a line of questioning. Now, for those of us who are believers and we're evangelical, uh, you know what these encounters are kind of like, right? Well, you're having a conversation with someone at work or at school or at the coffee shop. And as you, as you begin to talk with them, you can sense the fact that there's something, there's something beneath the words that they're saying. You're conversing, it's going very well, but just beneath the surface of the words, you sense that there's something off, and maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe you can sense that there's heartache or, or they're distraught. You know, from time to time, I mean, I'm that way. I'll be at church, and someone will stop me, and they'll say, hey, brother, I can tell that, man, something's, something's not right. Are you okay? And I'll be like, no, nah, man, I didn't sleep well last night, or man, I... I you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this or that, right? And you get that, that sense that there's something off when you're conversing with someone. Or, or maybe, more importantly, when you're conversing with people that you meet, you start talking, and they're saying things that sound religious. They sound good. They sound spiritual. But underneath those words, just beneath those words, you sense that something's off, something's not quite right. And, and, and you hear that they're, they're, they're saying that they're religious, but you know something is missing. And Paul senses that as well. And so he begins a line of questioning. You know, a lot of times what we do in those situations, uh, if you're anything like me, you'll be having those conversations, and uh, someone will be saying something, you sense that something's off, and then you awkwardly dismiss yourself from the conversation because you really aren't in the mood to engage, or you know that it's going to take a lot of your time, or maybe it's going to be exhausting. But that's not how Paul was at all. Right? You introverts are like, yes, every time. <laughs> Once I feel like something is getting serious, I'm out. I'm done. But that's not how Paul was, because like we said before, Paul was focused on the gospel, and he knew that every time he sensed those things, it was actually an opportunity to go deeper. And that's how we ought to be too. So for the Bible-believing Christian, here's key point number one. Sharing Christ sometimes meaning, means asking probing questions. Sharing Christ sometimes means asking probing questions. So that seems real simple, but some of us aren't very good at this, right? So we, we, we acknowledge that this is true, when we, you know, that, that question asking is significant in sharing the gospel, but so few of us are willing to do it, to engage in that way. Learning to ask gentle yet revealing questions is crucial to engaging people with the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus was really good at this, right? Like if we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ and we, and we look through the Gospels, we actually find that in the Gospels, Jesus asks over 300 questions. Yeah? it's a lot of questions, right? Over 300 questions. Why? Because questions help with personal discovery. That's what questions do. Because questions force people to learn things about themselves that they would have nev never otherwise considered. Because human nature, fleshly nature, is to bury things down and not ask hard questions. Because we're all prone to just try to normalize our lives the best we can and be as happy as possible without having any upheaval or disturbance of what feels like normalcy, right? 
We don't like it. But when we ask questions, it forces us and others to learn things about themselves and in turn discover that they have a need. That's what questions do. They help people discover that they have a need. And that need is for a Savior. It's for Jesus Christ. Questions uncover things. So we ought to be like Paul. We ought to be inquisitive. We need to be gentle, but we need to learn how to ask questions. And and here's the thing that's important about question, question asking. If you don't know your Bible very well, then you're not going to know the right questions to ask. Right? It's like, um, it's like if I take a, a, a chemistry or a biology class and I try to prescribe or diagnose someone's illness because I've had like a single one or two science classes. That would be, that would be bad, wouldn't it, Connor, if I did that? Things would be bad. Connor's like, don't talk to me. She's like, I hate when you say my name in a message. Right? That would be bad. That would be bad news. I should not do that, right? And a lot of times when we're talking with people, we don't know the word of God, and so we don't know the right diagnosis. We don't know how to ask the right questions. We don't know how to prescribe the right thing because we hear that something's off, but we can't quite put our finger on it. And the more you know of God's word, the easier it is for you to pinpoint the things that need to be addressed. Does this make sense? We ought to learn God's word because it'll make us better Question askers. That's why Jesus was so good at it. He was the living word. That's really convenient for him. Of course he was good at asking questions, right? So let's look at Paul's questions. And the first question that he asks is a question about the Holy Ghost. Now I just want to warn you in advance that today's message is going to be doctrine heavy. Now what do I mean by that? When we say the word doctrine, what we really mean is just teaching or, or truth. And specifically what we mean is, is the, the acute teachings and patterns and truths that we find in God's word that are basically the foundations of what we believe. And so today we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk about Jesus and salvation. And we're going to talk about baptism. Those things are all going to come up in this conversation. Okay, so I'm going to need you to pay really close attention. And so for some of you, this is going to sound really new. But that's the point. We're here together to ask ourselves questions. So the very first question is about the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul's line of questioning is intended to reveal what these men believed. That's what he wants to know. He wants to know what they believe and ultimately whether or not they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As we read, we notice that the questions reveal truths. They reveal truths to Paul and help him and these men draw clear conclusions. So verse 2 says, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Okay. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be an Holy Ghost. They've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. Some of you in this room might be in that same boat, in fact. Never heard about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Now I want to point something out to you. For those of you who have been around or in Christianity for a while, some people have used this question by Paul to abuse the Scriptures. Okay, so I want to warn you here for a second. Some people have used this question by Paul, and they've misinterpreted it in order to establish false teachings that somehow professing Christ and receiving the Holy Ghost are two unique things, that they're distinct, that they're separate occurrences. Okay, this, this, listen to me, this presupposition says that for one to truly be saved or to, to come to Christ... They need not only believe in Christ, 
but at some other point down the line, receive the Holy Ghost, receive the Holy Spirit. That's not what's happening here. Remember, these are disciples, but what we're going to come to find out is that they were disciples of John the Baptist. These men have not actually professed Jesus Christ. These men don't know Christ yet. Okay, so, so here's, here's the deal. Is that what people do is that they have a false reading of this, and it produces all kinds of false teachings about salvation and the Holy Spirit. And this is a common belief. Maybe you have or haven't encountered it before. But you'll, just say, you'll, you'll be having a conversation with somebody, uh, someone who's a Christian, and you'll be saying, are, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. And then they'll say, well, but have you received the Holy Ghost yet? And the idea is that your salvation is not full until you've actually received the Holy Ghost. It's only in part, or it's partial. And I want to tell you right now that the Bible does not teach that. That it requires misreadings. It requires misreadings to draw that conclusion. So let me prove that to you. May I? Okay. So the Apostle Paul that we find here in our story, this guy actually sheds light on this very thing. So he wasn't confused by this subject matter. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So he's asking a similar, if the Spirit of God dwell in you, right? Listen to what he says. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So one can't believe or put their faith in Jesus Christ and not at the same time have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The two things function in tandem. In other words, to accept Jesus Christ is to receive the Holy Spirit. And these are simultaneous occurrences. So we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to accept Jesus Christ? This is very, ele- this is very elementary, but I, I do believe that there's people in this room who, who don't know the message of salvation. And so I want to make sure that we, re- we really clear- clarify this. Okay, so what does it mean to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Okay, the very first thing is that we need to agree that Jesus was the Son of God. That Jesus was the Son of God. Now, we don't mean half God and half man. Okay, what we mean is that Jesus Christ came to earth and he was all God and all man. He was the Son of God, part of the triune nature of God. He was divine, but he was also fully a human being. And that he lived a perfect life in the face of trial and temptation. In other words, he faced all the trials and the difficulties that we face from day to day, and we fail at Right? We're sinners. We mess up. I'm going to mess up 20 or 30 times a day. Evil will bear witness to that. My wife can attest. I, I am a sinner. Right? I sin. But Jesus lived a perfect life in the face of all the same trials and temptations that I face every day. And then some. And that because of our sin, that we are separated from a holy God. We were just singing about the holy God, right? Holy, holy, holy. And because he is so holy and so righteous, my sin actually keeps me separated from him. I can't earn my way to him. I can't garner his favor through activity or, you know, walking old ladies across the street or whatever it is that you do to make yourself look good from day to day. Those things don't earn God's favor. Any little bit of sin means poison to our lives. If I had a cup of water here, and it represents, well, I do, actually. Here we go. And that represented the goodness of my life. 
but I put one drop of poison into this water, would anybody drink that? Sin taints our life in the exact same way, right? No one would drink that water because they know that it would kill them, even though the majority of this water is good. And the point is, sin separates us from God the exact same way. He's perfect and holy, and we're not. And Jesus Christ is the bridge to God the Father. So, So Jesus came to earth knowing that we were sinners, And died a death in humanity's place. We deserved that death. We deserved the cross. We deserved damnation, in fact. And yet he intervened. He was our intercessor. He took upon him the burden of our sin. Laid it upon the cross and died the death that we deserved. His very nature is to forgive us of our sin. That's his nature. And if we call to him in faith, he is faithful to bestow grace and wash us from our sin. And we call this putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We call this accepting Christ. That's what we mean when we say that. Now, at the point that a person makes that decision, it looks different for a lot of people, right? Everybody's got a different story. If you go around the room and you ask people in this room about how they came to accept Jesus Christ, everyone would have a slightly different story. Some prayed on their knees in their bedroom one day. Someone was at a coffee shop. Someone was taking a walk and they just realized, I believe, God, I'm a sinner, wash me clean. Maybe it was a prayer. Maybe it was a statement. Maybe it was a change in their heart. Nonetheless, salvation happens in an occurrence, in a singular moment. And at the moment of that decision, that moment of repentance, that moment of the turning of your heart towards Jesus Christ and away from your sin is the moment that the Holy Spirit indwells you. Boom. It's a harmonious and simultaneous activity. Does this make sense? Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the day, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the uh, promise of, I'm sorry, unto the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God is God's transformative power in our lives. It seals us and empowers us to live according to God's will. When we accept Jesus Christ, we receive his Holy Spirit. Okay, that leads us to key point number two. Whether or not you have received the Holy Ghost is of great significance because receiving the Holy Ghost means believing in Jesus Christ and whether or not someone believes in Jesus as the Son of God is the most consequential decision any person could ever make in their entire lives I've made lots of really important decisions okay where where I'm going to college what what I'm going to major in where I'm going to work who I'm going to marry, whether or not I'm going to have kids, right? Whether or not I'm going to own a house. These are all, like right now, Eva and I are trying to to buy a car. I've never done anything more poorly in my life than figure out how to buy a car. I don't know how to do it. I'm 38 years old. I've bought six cars in my life or something. And it's it's like I don't even understand the process. 
I've got car dealers are texting me. They do this. They're, they're texting me, and they're sending me pictures of cars and things, and it's just overwhelming. It's like I'm like hyperventilating when I get these texts. These are big decisions, but listen to me. None of those decisions are near as important as the decision revolving around whether or not you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. It's the big one. All of your life and all of your eternity revolves around that decision and what you believe about that. So Paul's question was intended to reveal whether or not these men had actually come to faith. So the questions might have gone like this. So you guys are disciples. And they would have been like, yeah, man. We're disciples. So you guys believe in the one true God of Scripture. And they would have said, yeah, we do. And then he would say, okay, so since you guys believe, have you received the Holy Ghost? To which they said, the Holy Ghost what? <laughs> and the fact that these men had never heard of the Holy Ghost revealed that they had never received Jesus Christ. So, so Paul doesn't stop there. It's not like Paul to stop, right? Like us, you know, we might be satisfied. Like, oh, okay, well, I guess they're not saved. Right? But Paul ain't like that. He's looking for more clues. He's doing the spiritual Sherlock Holmes thing. More information is what he wants. He now knows that they haven't received Christ, but he's curious about what exactly it is that they believe. After all, they're calling themselves disciples, right? So he continues on, verse 3. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? So based on the answer to his previous question, he says, well, what, what were you baptized unto? Okay, now the word baptism is used in the Bible a lot. Okay, it shows up a lot. In fact, we see it in Jewish tradition, right, and religious ceremony all the time, right? That, the, that there's a symbolism that takes place and it has significance in, in the Jewish religious faith system. Now, now, the word baptism itself means immersion. Okay? You guys with me? It means immersion. It means to be submerged. And so, with that in mind, he asked them, what were ye baptized unto? And their response was, then, uh, uh, and they said, unto John's baptism. That was their response. We were baptized unto John's baptism. Now, if you were with us last week, you heard about this a little bit. John's baptism was unique. It was a unique baptism. It was for a singular moment in time, wasn't it? So he's, he's talking to these guys. He says, so you haven't heard of the Holy Ghost? No. Have you been baptized? Yes, we have. Okay. What were you baptized to? And they say John the Baptist's baptism, which means a baptism of repentance in expectation for the Messiah. Okay. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Are you guys with me? It's getting hot up here. And I need you to pay attention. Did someone just woo at me? <laughs> Braden, was that you? You're the only one I'd think that would do that. Okay. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, that messenger being John the Baptist. 
which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now this was an immersion baptism. This means that John was down by the river dunking people in for a symbol that they had repented of their sin and that they're preparing their heart and their mind for the coming of the Messiah. And that's what these guys were baptized to. So after all this, Paul now knows not only that they've they've not heard of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but they don't even know the teachings of Christ. They don't even know that he's come. They don't even know that he died for their sins. To to, to, to those men, the Messiah was only a, a highly anticipated event on the future calendar. So Paul then shows them a more perfect way. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these men believe. They come to believe. I mean, I would like to think that they were really ready for this message. They've been waiting on this message for quite some time, right? John told them to be ready. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so the Messiah would, would have been on their mind, right? So when Paul presents the gospel to them, they received it willing, willingly. Now, again, I want to make sure, today is very doctrinal, remember. I want to make sure that we understand fully what's happening here. It's important to know what's true, isn't it? So in the Bible, we actually find seven different unique baptisms in in Scripture. And just by way of plug, because this is what I do, I want to plug the LFBI class sevens. Okay, there's a class called sevens where we go through all of the major sevens in in scripture. And we're offering this as a self-paced course this summer. That was you that wooed earlier. Oh, you're wooing now. Okay, That's that's a more appropriate woo. So, so if you are interested in this subject matter and you want to know about the seven baptisms, you want to know about the seven feasts, you want to know about the seven judgments, and you want to learn what the Bible has to say about all these sevens, you should take the LFBI class this summer. <clears throat> but let's look at the three that we have here. Can we do that real quick? Three baptisms right here. This will be a, you know, a primer for the sevens class. The very first baptism we see, and I think I've got, yeah, the very first baptism that we see was the physical baptism of John. This is a baptism, a national baptism for the Jews. This was a John the Baptist message was for the Jewish people, and he was calling them to prepare the way of the Messiah. Get ready. And it was a physical baptism. It was symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection that was to come. The second baptism is the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? That's the way it's described here. This is the baptism by which you establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, as you can see that I put here, the first baptism was about repentance, wasn't it? Right? The second baptism is about relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The moment that you enter into that relationship, Jesus, I choose you, is the moment the Holy Spirit baptizes you and indwells you with his power. Does that make sense? So it's the baptism by which Christ is established and the Holy Spirit immediately enters upon your belief. Now the third baptism we see here is the physical baptism, is also a physical baptism, and it's a baptism in the name of Jesus. Isn't that what it says? 
says right there. It tells us what it is. We always take the Bible, like we read it literally. We try to understand it literally in terms of what it says. It says right there that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the same type of baptism that we saw take place this morning. You guys saw that, right? Um, Andrea and Anna both got baptized this morning. And it was, a, it was a visual picture of the faith that they already put in Jesus Christ. And when they got dunked, which, guys, I, I can't tell you. when Baptism is like my f- favorite thing to do as a pap- pastor. Because it's, it's, it's so powerful. Right? It's this div- I was explaining it to Andre this morning. It's this dividing line in your life. It's the moment, it's the moment that you tell everybody, everybody in the, in the room, publicly, that whatever, whenever, wherever you tell me to go, Jesus, I'm going. And I want all these people to know it. And so in that way, it's a signifier of the power of your belief. It's a, it's a signifier of your devotion to Jesus Christ. And in this way, it's a revelation of what you believe in Jesus Christ. You're telling other people. It's a profession. Does it make sense? So, key point, number three, whether or not you have been baptized is of great significance to God. It's of great significance. Okay, so whether or not you've been baptized in God's spirit, that second baptism on our list, right? Whether or not you've been baptized in God's spirit has eternal significance because being indwelled by his spirit has everything to do with whether or not you've established a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if I ask you today the very same question, have you you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? That's a question that says, have you put your faith in Jesus? That's significant. But also, if you're saved, whether or not you've decided to get dunked in water as a sign of your belief is also incredibly significant. A lot of you in this room are probably... There's always people like this who are putting off the baptism like we saw this morning. Why? Because they don't want to get in front of people or because they're nervous or I don't do good in front of crowds or whatever. Right? And we always have an excuse. But listen to me. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you love him and you're saying in your mind, whatever, whenever, wherever, God, I'm following you, and you've not yet been baptized, you're actually lying to yourself. Okay? You don't get to say whatever, whenever, wherever, and say, except that. Except for that thing where you want me to get wet in front of everybody. That seems a little scary. Right? What if I slip? Right? What if the water's cold? Andrea, is the water cold? It was warm. That's right. We get it nice and warm. The water's warm. So, so what I'm saying to you is if you have not yet been baptized and you recognize this is your next, the next step in your faith, come on, let's do it. Next Sunday. You can get, right now, just get mbtkc.org. On the front page, one of the first icons that will show up is the baptism icon. And you can sign up right now to get baptized. Let's take care of that, right? Because it has a significance. It's important. Do you want to reveal to the world that you follow Jesus Christ? This is how you do that. This is like your coming out party, right? I'm coming out as a Jesus follower, right? And, uh, and so that's, that's what, why we do it, and it has significance. 
That declaration of devotion is important to Jesus. Even Jesus got baptized as a marker of the beginning of his his life ministry, right? From that moment on, he was doing the work of God in a unique way, right? And the same way for us, we get baptized and we're telling everybody we're moving forward in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the truth has been uncovered. These men did not know the Savior. All the missing pieces, okay, Sherlock did did his thing. He put the puzzle pieces together. Everything clicked. It made sense for these men. And their lives were forever changed. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, And all the men were about 12. Now it's worth reiterating, may I? Um, It's worth reiterating that the Acts of the Apostles is a narrative surrounding the Apostles. It's a historic account. A moment in time just after Christ's resurrection where God used a small group of men in a very unique way. Okay? So... We don't get to read the Acts of the Apostles and say to ourselves, well, this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. We don't get to do that. It's not a doctrinal, it's not a doctrinal statement on how Christian life ought to look. Inspirationally, it can be that, but not doctrinally. In this time period of church history, we, re- we recognize miraculous activity that we don't witness in the church today. Yeah, has anybody ever read this book before? The Acts of the Apostles, yeah? You read that? Like the stuff about getting bit by poisonous snakes and things like this, and drinking poison and and healing people? That stuff's crazy. Ain't nobody doing that. Like, if you've got the gift of healing and you're not using that, you're not going down, as Alan Shelby always says, if you've got the gift of healing and you're not at children's mercy healing every single kid in that cancer ward right now, then you're the worst person on earth, okay? Right? Why why would you withhold that gift? And the truth is that that's because the gifts have ceased. They've ceased. At the time that we're looking at here, these supernatural gifts were utilized rapidly to, to rapidly spread the gospel throughout the known world. That's what the gifts were used for. They were used as a sign that the message of Jesus Christ was legitimate and had authority. These gifts authorized the messengers of the early church and amazed the known world. That we, you guys ask, you know, historians ask themselves, why did Christianity spread so rapidly? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. But one of the big reasons was because of the apostles' gifting. Because of how God gifted them, it legitimized their message almost immediately, and people had to take notice, and it changed people's lives very quickly in that first century. Yeah? People keep dropping things, and, I, and I'm wondering, <laughs> like it's insane, it's like absolutely insane. And I'm wondering if it's because I'm that boring today. Is this that boring? Maybe, I don't know. Um, I'm watching, like I'm, I'm ready to look over here and Alex just fall completely out of his chair, face first, <laughs> and hit the ground. I'm looking over here, I'm looking over here at Harrison, and his eyes, I know you had a birthday this week, bro, but you're like, It feels like you're back in, we're back at the high school, and you're in class, and I'm teaching. 
Now, Harrison was pretty engaged as a student. Just not when I'm teaching the Bible, though. So, but listen to me. So what we see happening here is we see Paul, uh, you know, he lays his hands on these men, and the Holy Ghost comes into them, and, and then they start speaking in tongues, right? Now, that's not how things work in our dispensation of time. Soteriologically, that's not how things happen for us. And the reason that they happen this way here is for a very significant purpose. And that was to legitimize the apostolic gift of Paul. Now, you might not know this if you don't know your Bible very well, but if you read through the letters of Paul, he's often saying, look, people aren't believing that I'm an apostle. People had a hard time with it, especially the religious Jews of the time. They didn't like the fact that Paul was the, was the apostle to the Gentiles. That bothered them. Not only that, but he had made a habit of killing Christians at one point. right? So that, he had a reputation to live down. right? So, so a lot of people didn't love the apostle Paul, and they didn't love the idea that he was the apostle to the Gentiles, the heathen. right? And so what happened was, in the transition between Peter to Paul, Paul begins to perform the same gifts that we see that Peter did. And if you look at Peter's life, if you look at Acts chapter 8 specifically, you see Peter doing this kind of stuff, and Paul's ministry here, you see the same thing happening, laying hands on people and the Holy Ghost entering, and then they're speaking in tongues, and we're seeing a particular gifting. Now, I don't have time to get into this, guys. Like, I'm digging up too much dirt today. I just know it. Right? People are going to have a million questions. Take them to your Bible study leaders. Let's work through it. But listen to me. Speaking in tongues. Look at Acts chapter 2. Speaking in tongues is the speaking of legitimate phonetic languages. And it's not an angelic tongue. People heard their language. People from all over the region were visiting Jerusalem that day. And the first time people spoke in tongues, they heard their distinct language. Okay? That's what was happening. And when we see the gift of tongues in Scripture, we know that's what it is. Now, I don't think anyone in this room today is going to magically speak Spanish if they've never spoken in Spanish before. I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. Now, God could do anything he wanted, but the evidence proves, the evidence in Scripture proves that these gifts were intended to cease. And as we follow throughout the New Testament, we actually see them. If we look at the narrative of Scripture, by the time we get to the last of Paul's writings, we're seeing that, that at one point he had the gift to do things like this and that those gifts, even in his own life, ceased. He couldn't do the things that he could do early on. You understand? So that's, that's as much evidence as I'm going to present for that today. But what I want you to understand is that Acts is unique. It's a unique time in the history of the church. But most importantly, most importantly, in all of the deep Bible study that we've done today, you know, we've discussed a lot of concepts, lots of important things. What I want to ask you is, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And what I mean by that is, have you received Jesus Christ? Now, you may say to yourself, all of that stuff you listed about Jesus on that slide back there, like, like about believing that he was the son of God and, and about believing that, that, that he came to earth to die for my sins and all that stuff. I believe that stuff, but I'm not sure if I've ever repented of my sin and actually cast my care upon him. I don't know if there's ever been a moment where I, just, where I actually repented from me and turned to him and said, I don't just believe that, 
but I want to live for that. And if you've never done that, then you've never accepted Jesus Christ, and today is the day to do that. Today is the day to to get that taken care of. It's not good enough to just intellectually believe it. You've got to throw your life into it. The other thing I want to ask is, are we willing to open the Bible and approach it inquisitively? Are we willing to ask God hard questions, comparing Scripture with Scripture, letting the Bible reveal to us what is and isn't true? Let the divine words of God reveal to us answers to long misunderstood and incomplete concepts. In a room like this one, there's a lot of people who've grown up in church. There's a lot of people from different backgrounds, different experiences. And the question is, are you willing to let the word of God speak to you and expose what is and isn't true? Last week we talked about being teachable. James 1.22 talks about this. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any, any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his face in a glass, which is a, like a mirror, like a looking glass, right? For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, being, and he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, what we need to do is we need to be like Sherlock Holmes of this book. And we need to be willing to go to it and ask it hard questions, because it's divine. We begin with that presupposition. The word of God is divine. And so when I look into it, it functions as a mirror for my life. And what I see back is the truth about who I really am. This morning before I came down here, I went to the restroom and I washed my face. Okay? And as I was looking into the mirror, I was noticing wrinkles. I was just looking at myself. I was like, oh, I hope that's just allergies. Because the eyes are looking... A little older today. See, the thing about a mirror is it doesn't really lie. What's there is there. And I can either embrace it or I can reject it. Right? I can either say to myself, yeah, old. (laughs) Or I can be like, oh, look, I look great. And I can walk away. Okay? See, God's word shows us every, if we just look at it long enough and intently enough, It shows us everything that's wrong with our lives, whether it be thinking or behavior, whatever it may be. And and there are people in this room today who've done this before. They look at the word of God, and then they walk away completely unchanged. Everything's good. Everything's good. I'm cool. But there will be some of us, like these 12 men, who when confronted with the truth, confronted with hard questions... Whether they let the word of God actually ask them questions in return. Had their lives forever changed. And so, if you're not a believer, I want to ask you to consider taking time to do the hard work. Maybe you're not ready to make a decision today. Well, that's okay. If Christ is real, the Bible is true. Then the significance of familiarizing yourself with the words of God, is of great consequence to you. 
It's the most important thing you can ever, let's just for a second, okay, ask ourselves, if Jesus is real, if he is real, like just hypothetically, then what this book has to say is the most important thing on the face of the earth. Okay, so let's just start there hypothetically. So if there's an outside chance that Jesus is real and everything about him is true, then why wouldn't you sign up for a Bible study today? Why wouldn't you come down and meet? We're going to have counselors up here at the end of service. Why wouldn't you come down and say, you know what, Um, I'd really like to join a Bible study. I'd really like to let the Bible prove itself to me. Now, I'm going to listen to you. I want you to listen to me. No one's going to try to convince you of anything. Okay? We're just going to ask questions like Paul did. And we're going to let the word of God speak. And we believe it will prove itself out. If it isn't true, then you will have just lost some time. You'll have wasted a little bit of life. But if it is true, there's nothing more consequential. Right? So why not let God's word prove itself? You give your professors an opportunity to prove themselves. You afford YouTube gurus plenty of time. You've given them that time. Why not give God's word the opportunity to prove itself? If you're interested in learning the Bible, I want to invite you as the worship team comes up. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to pray And at the end of that prayer, while people are worshiping, you've got an opportunity to come down here and and meet with someone and say, hey, I'd really like to get in a Bible study. I'm not ready to make a decision today, but I'd like to be in a Bible study. There'll be some of you, though, where today's message was convincing enough for you. And you recognize today, even right now, that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're ready to put your faith in him even right now and receive the Holy Ghost. Some of you will be willing to do that. But no matter what, no matter what it is, okay, even if you're a believer and you recognize you've just not let God's word do its perfecting work, you've been looking at the Bible and you've been walking away unchanged, maybe that's the struggle that you have today. Come forward. Don't waste today. Don't waste today. Come forward and deal with whatever it is that you need to deal with. Let's do that. Amen? Did you hear all that? That was, hard, that was hard work today, okay? But man, I pray that God spoke to you, and I pray that you know what decision it is that you, know, you need to make even right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, I just want to declare to you I love your word. Every time I've put it to the test, my whole life, it's proven to be true. And Lord, I, I know that there are people with lots of really big questions, people smarter than me in this room today who for a long time have been making excuses about whether or not to really challenge your word. And Lord, I pray that today that they would make a decision to come forward and and put their beliefs to the test, their ideologies, their, their thoughts. Put those things to the test. Put them up against the looking mirror of your word and see whether or not they're true. Lord, I want to pray for those of us who do believe and yet we've forgotten the perfecting and powerful truths of your word. We've we've neglected the mirror of your word way too long. And we've stopped asking ourselves hard questions. That's probably why so many of us are unteachable, because we're not willing to ask hard questions. We've got our presuppositions and we're done. That's good enough. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us all to recognize that we're weak, we're feeble, that, that whatever, you know, in whatever way that we believe that we're smart or have answers, that, Lord, none of that is anything compared to who you are in your book and the, and the perf- perfecting of those words that exist there, that you are all good and we are wicked without you. None are righteous, no, not one. And, Lord, what we need is you. We need your book inside of our heart and our mind. And so, Lord, at whatever level we need to make decisions today about that, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.